0: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help.
2: I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting
1: feedback was just life-changing.
0: If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, Visit BetterHelp.com/stuff today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/stuff.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting. We all have to meet, but the average cost of a single business trip is $1,000. With just one click, you can save time and money and have your meetings online with affordable and easy-to-use GoToMeeting. Use GoToMeeting for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaborating on documents, and more. And at $49 per month for unlimited meetings, it saves time, money, and travel. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. That's go to meetingcom slash stuff.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. This is Stuff You Should Know, eh? To live and die in L.A. Yes, Chuck just did a little, um, I don't even know if that's foreshadowing. I am really off my game today, so. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. You're so on it. I am. Uh, <laughs> what Chuck brought up, see, listen, listen to me. <laughs> what Chuck brought up, um, to live in. I want to get through this sentence. What Chuck brought up to live and die in L.A. for Yeah, uh, is because we're talking about counterfeiting today.
0: And that's the best counterfeit movie in history. It is. Easily.
2: And it is. And we've talked about it before, but I think it's worth talking about again, like sure. you just did. Mm-hmm. It's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Moving on. So, Chuck, counterfeiting, as you may or may not know, is a dying crime. A lost art. It really is, and actually, uh, this is one of those old school types of criminal activity mm-hmm. that um, people who are good at it have the respect of law enforcement. Yeah, I was reading an article about this bust of of, of some counterfeiting ring, and it amounted to just some guy with an inkjet printer who was right. printing off you know terrible, terrible currency on fiber paper, right? And um, this Secret Service guy who's like a twenty two year vet was just shook his head in disgust and he's like it's a dying art like you, you just you don't see good paper any longer
0: yeah it's definitely a lost art and um i kind of i know this sounds goofy but i kind of like the idea of since it doesn't have that much anymore i can say this of counterfeiting like instead of a thief anyone can throw a win- a, a chair through a window yeah. and go like break into a cash register at night right But to think, like, I'll print money that's so believable that you can pass it. Yeah. It's like, it it was artistry for sure.
2: It is. And um, when researching this article, there was a common theme among these great counterfeiters, these uh, five most successful counterfeiters, uh, that they all were just, they had tremendous guts. Yeah. They were, they tried to break out of jail at every turn. Yeah. Um, And they were just really... Admirable criminals. Yeah,
0: and most of them wrote books about it too, yeah, which is yeah. interesting.
2: It's well, it's a good way to make some money afterwards.
0: You don't write a book about my life as a as a flat screen TV thief. No, no. And
2: if you do, no one
0: reads it. It's self published.
2: Sure. <laughs> so, Chuck, let's get into this. All right. All right. Now we're going to talk about some of these successful counterfeiters, and we should also add a caveat here: successful doesn't mean that they never got caught. Oh no. That's we don't, we don't know about those counterfeiters.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Right. The w- the ones who got caught but still had these tremendous careers are the ones we're going to talk about. And we're going to do it chronologically, buddy, starting with a guy named Stephen
0: Burroughs. Stevie. He uh, was born in New Hampshire, Josh, in the 1700s, uh-huh. late, s- mid-1700s, and uh, was raised throughout the United States. <laughs> and I think that you have one of the best sentences you've ever written in this article. Which one? <laughs> From an early age, he showed distinct signs of acute chicanery.
2: <laughs> <That's great. laughs> why did you read that like Anthony
0: Hopkins? Oh, that was Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you said why did I? Yeah. Uh, that wasn't supposed to be Anthony uh, Hopkins. Okay. That was just my newsreel voice.
2: Yeah, that was good, thank you.
0: And he was a he was a little mischievous guy, all, yeah. all his life. It he sounds
2: like. Apparently, gained a reputation as the worst boy in town at a very young age. Um, he he stole a bunch of watermelons from a local farmer and he joined the search party to find the thief that shows he's smart right uh-huh and i think at age 14 he ran away um joined the merchant navy ended up basically being the de facto ship doctor well he deserted that's right he, he went to the he army joined
0: the the army deserted the army uh-huh then went to college bailed on college and then became like a de facto doctor on a boat
2: right which led him to say, you know what, I could probably get away with posing as stuff. His father was a clergyman, so he decided that he was going to pose as the leader of a church, which he did successfully for six months. Right. Led the congregation, like mass, everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and he probably could have done that indefinitely because, you know, people aren't that suspicious of preachers usually. Um, but he got busted passing some counterfeit money in
0: Concord, right? Uh, Springfield. Close enough. Yes. And then he was sent to jail. Yeah. And then he thought, I bet a good way to escape from jail would be to set the jail on fire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it worked. Yeah, it did. Because he successfully escaped. Yeah, he fled to Canada, actually. And, um, he, I think he, did he get caught again? Well, that's where he, he led the most serious counterfeiting ring was when he went to Canada.
2: Right. So he was in Canada. Um, and he led this ring for years and then suddenly he just decided to reform himself. Yeah. He gave up crime, started supporting himself by tutoring wealthy Canadian children or the children of wealthy Canadians, I should say.
0: Yes. He founded a library. Isn't that what you said?
2: Yeah. He became kind of like a, um, cultural benefactor up there. Crazy. even though people were aware of who he was, they still respected him because the stuff he did, um, uh, was just so respectable. Sure. They're like, yeah. he printed some phony bills. He built us a library. He, yeah, he built a library. Uh, and he died in 1840. But before that, he wrote a book, like you said a lot of them do, called Memoirs of My Own Life.
0: <laughs> That's the best memoir title in memoir history. Yes, it is. Memoirs of My Own Life. Yeah, so it's,
2: it. it's still in
0: print, apparently. I haven't read it. I haven't either. Well, let's... Moving on. Number four? Yeah. Is, drum roll, The Lavender Hill Mob, <laughs> which I found out was a movie... From 1951 with Alec Guinness? Yes. Uh,
2: we try researching them.
0: I know. Yeah. That's all you see is the movie. Yeah. But it's unrelated. No. Not related at all. Right. Instead, the Lavender Hill Mob,
2: actually are of fairly recent origin, they were um, operating in the 90s in uh, Great Britain, A- around Lavender Hill, I would imagine. They were founded by this guy named Stephen Jory. And this guy was awesome. He was what, yeah. what they call an old-school rogue, and that's a quote. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And another guy named Kenneth Mainstone, who's a retired printer, and Jory recruited Mainstone to come up with some counterfeiting plates, right? Right. And they did very successfully. And by the way, Jory is widely credited as establishing the knockoff perfume market.
0: Yeah, I found he um, actually bribed a perfumer – to get recipes, mm-hmm. and by the time it was all said and done, had bottled five million phony Chanel Number Fives. Really, it's like, five million. That a factory in Acapulco <laughs> making the stuff. That's how that? successful like, he
2: was. If you love Giorgio, or yeah. if you like Giorgio, you'll love Ulla <laughs> La and like a right. little spray aerosol can. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. was the last
0: time you wore a cologne? Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah, I, I wore cologne when I was like seventeen. I think was the last time.
2: That's it's about it for me.
0: You know, it's funny when I lived in Yuma, Arizona. All those dudes work alone.
2: Yeah, because everybody's sweaty out there.
0: Well, I don't know. There's just kind of this. It was a different culture. And They're like, you don't work alone. They're like,
2: they have like gel in their hair. Oh yeah. Okay, I know the culture you're speaking. Yeah,
0: the Jersey Shore type of
2: thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Lavender Hill Mob, right? They were very successful. They printed about fifty million pounds worth of fake notes. And not pounds by weight, but
0: pound by, you know, the right. currency. The right? English currency. Yeah. They also sold fake stamps, which I thought was <laughs> sort of ingenious.
2: It is. But at the same time, it's like, look, you just made 50 million pounds of fake currency. Right. And and one way to get rid of um, counterfeit money is not to just pass it, but you can actually sell it for, you know, pennies on the dollar. Right. To people who know that it's counterfeit and sure. are going to go pass it themselves. But um, even for pennies on the dollar, that's still... Many millions of pounds. Oh, yeah. And these guys are making stamps on the side.
0: Yeah. Well, I just apparently, thought it was a little odd. It was a little odd. Apparently, the first bills didn't work out so great, though. Did you hear about that? The the, uh, the Queen of England looked like she had a beard. <laughs> <laughs> and so that maybe that's why they were making stamps, until they perfected the right. the note-making. Yeah. Which they did, because they fooled uh, UV detectors. They got so good at it.
2: it yeah, and actually, they got uh, good enough that the... um. The Bank of England actually changed their design for their 20 pound note because of the Lavender Hill right. mob's activities and success. Pretty awesome.
0: It is. Yeah. And he wrote a book, Jory did, before he died. Just died a couple of years ago, didn't he? 2006. 2006. Yeah. He, it's under two titles. The first one was called Funny Money. Decent. The second one was great. Second one was called Loads of Money. And that's one word uh-huh. Loads of Loads of money: the true story of the world's largest ever counterfeiting ring. <laughs> nice colon in there as well.
2: Yeah, it kind of classes up your book when you have a colon in there. Loads of money. Yeah, <laughs> we should write a movie about that guy. We should. All right, Chuck. On to the Nazis. Yeah, I didn't know this. Most people think of the Nazis as like the um, worst fascist state to ever emerge in the history of humanity. Not true. Probably worst state ever. (laughs) Oh, no. That is true. Not first, worst. Right. Uh, Because Mussolini wasn't all that successful. Um, You know, they they directly murdered uh, 10 million marginalized people. Yeah. um, Including Jews, Roma, Catholics, homosexuals, and others. Sure. They invaded Poland Mm -hmm. and France and other countries. But... They also ran, arguably, the most successful counterfeiting ring in the history of humanity. There were a lot of in the history of humanities with Nazis. Almost all of them were horrible. Actually, all of them were horrible.
0: This is the least horrible thing they've ever done.
2: Probably, but it was going to pan out pretty bad in the end.
0: Yeah, they uh, made about 650 million pound notes. Which would be about 7 billion bucks today.
2: Right, which was about 15% of the currency in circulation in Great Britain at the time.
0: Right. And their uh, brilliant idea was to fly over England and drop cash money from planes. Right. They actually figured out, and this was called Operation Bernard. After
2: <laughs> Bernhard Kruger, yeah, he, but, who was an SS officer who was in charge of this operation. Yeah, the head of the
0: operation named the operation after himself.
2: Basically, what they did was they went around and figured out what nearly dead people in their camps used to be printers in the time before the war. And they identified them and drafted them to work in what was called the Devil's Workshop. Right. Which was like a secret printing press or a printing office
0: at uh, – what is it? You you, you speak German. What camp? Uh, Saskatchewan, no. Yeah. Uh,
2: Nice, Chuck. So they had some guys there, uh, all assembled to crack the um, English currency, and they Sachsenhausen, did. and they did successfully, leading to the six hundred and fifty million pound notes.
0: Yeah, and they well, they didn't drop it from the plane though. They laundered it. Right. Use some of that money to like import things. Yeah. And this isn't factually backed up, but there is rumor. That they actually used that money to pay for the rescue of Mussolini.
2: Did they really? Yeah. Well, they apparently made a bunch of cash. They they gave the money to a German businessman who served as a front for him to launder it, and he bought anything of value that he could get his hands on. I bet with this money. And apparently, it wasn't a secret. Like uh, England had known since like 1939, right? That this was going on, and they tried to close their borders to incoming currency, but it. It didn't really work. Right. They finally cracked the American $100 bill just as their camp was liberated. Yeah. And they, they the Nazis knew these guys were coming, so they took all the printing pre- or the, by these guys, the Allies. Uh, they took the printing stuff and threw it in the lakes, blew stuff up with explosives. Right. I don't know why they were trying to cover this aspect of I the know. Holocaust up, you know. Right. Um, and they were about to execute everybody who was involved. And the allies showed up and saved the day.
0: Yeah, and I think we should point out the idea behind all of this was to undermine the economies of England and the United States.
2: Oh, did we not point that out? No, oh.
0: which so is that's a pretty important part. That was the plan. They weren't just like, ooh, we'll get English money and then we'll buy things," <laughs>
2: <laughs> because you know, if you have a sudden influx of cash, a lot of cash on the on the market, right. it leads to inflation. Yeah,
0: yeah, indeed. Uh, there was a BBC TV show, Josh about this in 1980 called Private Schultz. And then one of the uh, Jewish um, prisoners forced to do this was named Adolf Berger. Yeah. And he later wrote a book, and that book was turned into a movie that won Best Foreign Language Film in 2008. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, the Counterfeiters in English. Nice. Don't ask me what it was in German.
2: I'll have to check it out. Yeah.
0: Moving on. Chuck. Moving on to number two. Charles Ulrich. Yes. Not... Related to Robert Urich, Uric. <laughs> as far as I know, because <laughs> there's two different names. Right. Now, this guy was another um kind of
2: dashing counterfeiter filled with Daring Do, and he was also a ladies' <laughs> man, actually. Daring Do. I, I couldn't help There's no other better way to describe it.
0: A cute chicanery. <laughs> yeah, he was a ladies' man, right? Yeah. It
2: actually led to his downfall, right? He was a polygamist. Uh, And he wasn't shy about it. He
0: was like uh, Bill Paxton, for goodness sake. Right. And this was in the 1860s in uh, New York. He, and like most of these uh, counterfeiters, he was a gifted engraver of plates. Right. So the local mob figures out that this guy is a gifted
2: engraver of plates, and they corral him to try to get him in, well, working for them. Right. And he does, and he ends up getting in trouble and ends up forming his own mob, his own gang. And with all the women included, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he finally gets caught in 1868 and stands trial. He was in Cincinnati. Uh, and he got 12 years in the federal pokey. Uh, and by his own estimation, he printed about $80,000 worth of um, phony bills.
0: A lot of dough back then.
2: Which is equal to about $1.3 in 2008, dollars, right? Right. But what was his downfall, Chuck? I said women, but specifically what?
0: Well... Like you said, he was a just sort of a blatant polygamist, made no bones about it, and he engaged, moved all around, engaged in relationships, and never broke off the old ones. Eventually, he moved his wife in to live with he and his girlfriend mm-hmm. and a third woman. Right. And one of them finally said, uh, you know what, I'm going to turn you in, jerk. Actually, all of them turned on him. But oh, they did? Yeah. Interesting. And they turned him in, and that's, that's where
2: the Cincinnati trial came from. But uh-huh. before that, he had been... Um, Incarcerated and in the grand tradition of counterfeiters, he broke out and actually led the cops on a chase oh, across yeah. the Niagara River, like right at the falls, uh-huh. and made it across actually into Canada and escaped. And he was like, Who's that
0: lady in the barrel? <laughs> right, yeah. as he was going.
2: And if that's not Daring Do, I don't know
0: what it is. That's Daring Do, my it friend. Is. That's okay. a cute chicanery.
2: <laughs> you really <laughs> like that, don't you? It's great. All right, so last one, buddy. And this guy's pretty familiar.
0: Yeah, everyone's probably heard of uh, Frank Abagnale. Yeah, because uh, the Stevie Spielberg movie "Catch Me If You Can." Yeah, Tommy Hanks. It was made at a time when
2: Spielberg unwittingly had a fake or a stolen Rockefeller in his collection. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I loved this movie. Did you like? Yeah, it? Yeah, I liked it too. It was just I don't know. it Was it when Spielberg had kind of put out some stinkers, mm-hmm. and everything was so serious, and then he just kind of did a fun, entertaining. Uh, heist movie
2: Right And it's one of those movies You can lay on the couch And watch like For the 50th time On like a Sunday Yeah Agreed But they never show it On TV
0: Yeah those. They, I think it ran on uh, Like TNT for a while Because I saw it That's it though yeah. yeah I love this movie Um, Leo DiCaprio Obviously Played Frank And
2: Funny story When Abignale Found out DiCaprio Was going to portray him uh-huh. He was worried Because he didn't know If Leonardo DiCaprio Would be able to be Smooth enough To play him accurately He's like the smoothest dude on the planet. He is smooth. He's like, like Do we know who he's dated? Oh, Leo? Yeah. No, I don't think this guy cares. I don't think he thinks Leo DiCaprio holds a candle to him. Goodness me. He can land Giselle and then Well, so can Tom Brady.
0: Well look at him, dude. Stud quarterback?
2: Yeah, but I mean
0: Chiseled out of stone? He's a quarterback. (laughs) Shut up. All right. Uh, He did most of his work in his teens and 20s, which is the remarkable thing about his story. Yeah. And he was a check forger.
2: Yes, as anybody who's seen the movie can tell you. uh, And actually, between the ages of 16 and 21, he cashed more than $2.5 million in fake checks in all 50 states and 26 countries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's some serious work. And he was also a confidence man. Yes, he was. Because he would not only write fake checks, but he would masquerade as as you saw in the film, like an airline pilot or a doctor or an attorney. Yeah. A uh, professor, I think he did at one point. Yeah. And fooled everybody.
2: Yeah. And he just forged whatever documents he needed to prove that he had the education or training or resume or whatever, and he'd yeah. get hired, which made him a good con man. Absolutely. Which made him, Chuck,
0: smooth. He said, catch me if you can. Sucker. A-, a few things here, Josh, that are um, similar and different from real life and in the movie, because they always beef it up a little bit in the movies. Yeah. He did actually um, pose as a federal agent when they busted in on him yeah. and kind of snuck out the back door Yeah, said, keep looking.
2: Yeah, he ordered the the feds who were looking for him to keep looking. He said he was like a treasury yeah. agent or something like Absolutely,
0: that. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was there first. Yeah, um, He actually did escape from a moving plane taxing on the runway. That's pretty serious, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. That really happened. Uh, however, in real life, he never saw his father again after he left home. And uh, he he had a real problem with his parents' divorce. I mean, like more so than any kid I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Like he would fantasize about meeting his parents again, and then being proud of him, and then getting back together because they were proud of his exploits.
2: Weird. That's kind of like Ralphie dreaming that he was going to go blind from having to <laughs> eat soap for swearing. You remember? I it do. was soap poisoning. <laughs>
0: Uh, he was one of four kids, and in the movie, I think he was an only child. Yeah. Um, Hannity, or Hanratty, the character Hanratty.
2: Yeah, Tom Hanks' character?
0: Yeah, it was actually a guy named Joe Shea. They changed his name. Weird. Yeah, I don't know why. Because they said in the original script it was Joe Shea, and I could never find any reason why they changed it to Hanratty.
2: Did they say anything about Captain America? Did he use the Captain America alias?
0: No, I didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, he was in the film, actually, as one of the French policemen that nabbed him. At the oh, end. really? Yeah, he, he had a little cameo.
2: Yeah, because he did a uh, a stint in the uh, French
0: jail. French prison? French prison. hmm <laughs> He, uh, is actually married. Married a woman, uh, as soon as he went straight, he married a woman, still married to her today. Mm-hmm. He's got three sons, and one of his sons is a federal agent. Cool. And he did remain friends with, uh, Tom Hanks. Or not Tom Hanks, but <laughs> Tom Hanks. Joe Shea.
2: <laughs> Joe Shea, gotcha. Yeah, and he does. Uh, he does consulting on like identity fraud and you know bank security and stuff like that, right?
0: Yeah. Everyone on your list wrote a book except for number two, Charles Ulrich. Yeah. Well, and the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. But the other the guy wrote actually that's he not true. The guy a book, wrote a yeah, book. one of the guys involved. Yeah.
2: yeah. Charles Ulrich was just too too involved with the ladies. I to guess so. Waste time writing a book.
0: You should write a book about that. Chuck, do you want to finish this? Finish, you want to wrap this turkey up yeah, put it in the oven? exactly.
1: This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. For your free 30-day trial, visit gotomeeting.com slash stuff.
2: Okay, so if you want to see some pictures about the guys that we were just talking about, one I couldn't find, so I used a picture of Dartmouth College. It was the best I could come up with, and I apologize for that. (laughs) Sorry, Darwin. You can type in uh, counterfeiters, C-O-U-N-T-E-R-F-E-I-T-E-R-S, in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com,
0: which leads us to listener mail. Thank the Lord. Josh, uh, I'm going to call this synesthetes in. Yeah, we got a bunch of them, didn't we? We did. It's cool to know they're out there. Being all weird. Uh, (laughs) this is uh, three quickies I edited them down guys Um, uh, first one's from Jonathan when I hear spoken words I see the written forms of the words in my visual field I see them much the same way I see a memory they don't scroll across my visual field like a stock ticker rather they appear in flashes in seemingly random positions and sizes I see the words most clearly when I'm deeply focused on the content of speech like at a lecture or when I'm listening to lyricized music I often see even see words when I'm dreaming. As for the color, the best I can do is say that they are a generic sans-serif font, white fill with black borders. Cool. And he's a, a researcher at UC San Diego. He said perhaps I should just ask uh, Professor um, Ramachandran next time he's sitting across from me at Perks Cafe. Ooh la la! That's like, dude, if you of see that guy, you, you, asked should, asked of him. you should ask
2: him. Yeah, I'm glad that we could bring these two together. It's like. The mom with her son who went off to college.
0: That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that's from Jonathan. Here's the second one from Ben. When I was eight or nine years old, my best friend moved to another town. That summer, after not hearing from him in a while, I decided to give him a call uh, once I walked home from another friend's house. A couple of seconds later, my right wrist suddenly had an intense pain and throbbing for no apparent reason. I iced my wrist. It made it feel better. And when I got home, I was still very confused why it happened. I called my best friend to tell him about this weird thing only to discover that he was also in pain, waiting for his mom to get him to the hospital. Seems he and his brother were playing Indiana Jones and in the Escape from the Closing Garage Door when he landed the wrong way and busted his right wrist. I'm a pretty logical guy, but that is really creepy and 100% true. Is that the work of neurons or a minor psychic event? Who knows? Who knows? And this last one is from Jordan in New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. We love New Zealand. Uh, I associate all numbers and letters with colors, and my mother and I also used to argue at times about what color a letter is.
2: Just like uh, Nabokov.
0: Yeah, and they didn't know that they were synesthetes. Just like the famous
2: book by (laughs) Nabokov.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Police, though. God, what a bad show that was. Uh, I thought it might also interest you to know that I experience music as a projection of colors. I can only explain it as a sort of mixture of fireworks and a fountain. Cool. Cool. A stream of water shoots in the air, changes colors and the shape in relation to the music. A loud beat is annoying because it's like a pulse ripple in the pond. It distracts and muddies the other tones. Although it is sometimes annoying, I find music distracting. Uh, it can get distracting, and I still find it very difficult to focus on a conversation if there's too much background noise or music. But now I can actually mute, partially mute, colors so I can concentrate on music. And while I still see no colors... I uh, do see the explosions, so like a classical piano <laughs> Wait, piece what? is really intense. He says he still sees. Oh, I'm sorry. He still sees colors and explosions, even though he's muted it, but he's lessened it to the point where he can actually listen to the music and not go crazy. Gotcha. Goodness, I'm having an off day too. Um, Wait, what do you mean too? <laughs> Uh, if I'm talking to someone and music is playing in the background, I can focus on the speaker much easier than I was previously able, thanks to his new muting ability. So nice. that's from Jordan in New Zealand. That's cool. And we heard from other synesthetes, and I just couldn't get them all in the air. So thanks for Yeah, we all heard y'all.
2: from one guy who was like, wait, I thought everybody saw uh, the date physically wrap around them. Right. Yeah. This is pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Join us on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, please do. At SYSK Podcast for Twitter, and just look up stuff you should know. Um, Website, I think it's called website. yeah, on Facebook.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, do those things. yeah, and we're send having a us good time. An email about anything at all, right? Chuck sure. I've got nothing, so just send us an email, will you? Yeah, that's stuff podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. dot com
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. dot com. Want more how stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com dot com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
0: Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have.